Hey everybody, this is Harvey Sugga Wasserman. We're back for the 143rd Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. Um, it's uh, I, I guess today is probably the hottest uh, day in the history uh, of the human presence on the earth. They seem to be every day seems to be the next hotter day. I'm in New Jersey and it's hot. Uh, I wish I was where I my background has me, but I'm not. We have a full, very full agenda today with a lot of really terrifying things going on in the world in addition to the incredibly hot temperatures we're dealing with. Uh, we're also dealing with a, uh, a global nuclear crisis at Zaporizhia, and we're honored with uh, Harry Hawkins from the Green Party. He's gonna talk about that in the second hour. We'll also be joined by uh, Linda Gunter, uh, one of the great experts. Uh, the, the danger at Zaporizhia cannot be overstated. Um, and uh, so we will get to that in the second hour. Uh, we, the absurdity of politics in Ohio uh, continues to uh, uh, also be impossibly, uh, impossible to overstate. We have had the former Speaker of the House, uh, uh, and we're gonna have Rachel Coyle on with us to talk about this. The former Speaker of the House has entered a, a federal uh, weight loss program at the, one of the penitentiaries um, uh, where he's been sentenced for 20 years, and we'll talk about that with, with Rachel. Um, a, a lot of other stuff coming from Ohio, um, uh, especially at, an attempt to to um, essentially destroy the referendum process in Ohio, which is very, very serious. Uh, we wanna talk about Julian Assange and uh, the, the uh, Evan Gershkovitz, uh, who is being held in Russia, and the contrast between their uh, programs. And, uh, talk about uh, talk, the contrast between the attention that's being paid to them, let's put it that way. I want to mention uh, uh, Jamie Raskin, who's made a major decision. We want to have a discussion of the weapons being used in Ukraine, uh, which is a, a very big deal. And also, Mike, uh, Mike uh, Hirsch is going to fill us in on, a, on an attempt to cut the military budget, which would be uh, a, a welcome thing not only for the planet, but for all humankind. And we want to scold the DOJ for uh, uh, fighting this uh, youth suit to protect the environment. In the second hour, six o'clock Eastern, three o'clock Pacific, we're going to dive into Zaporizhia and the, um, the million tons of radioactive water that are sitting by the Pacific Ocean at Fukushima, which is absolutely terrifying. Uh, pick your poison. We want to mention something about Oliver Stone and his horrendous movie. And we are, are hopefully going to be joined by Dr. Lisa Naj, who's going to explain to us some of the realities of the radioactive insanity that they want to put on the highways in Florida. So we have a very, very big full agenda. We've got Carl Grossman with us, our great nuclear anti-nuclear hero. As I mentioned, Harry Hawkins, the previous um, presidential nominee for the Green Party. And I believe uh, in the next week or two, we're going to have the current front runner for the Green Party presidential nomination, which is uh, Cornell. Uh, that's Cornell with one L uh, West, who will be joining us hopefully in the next week or two. So um, Rachel Coyle, we'll go to you. Then we'll uh, get to Ruth Strauss, who's having a meltdown on the Supreme Court. Um, I understand that uh, Clarence Thomas uh, is coming out to California. Uh, for a fundraiser route, so uh, you'll be there and you'll tell us all about it. Let's start with Rachel Coyle in Ohio. Um, uh, usually our segment in Ohio can be subtitled, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, so Rachel, tell us what they're doing uh, to uh, gut the referendum process in Ohio, which is also going on in Florida, by the way. Uh, this is really a major import to our democracy or what's left of it. And, um, you know, uh, go ahead, give us give us the bad news from Ohio. Sure. So I'll start with some good news. Uh, Ohioans gathered uh, over 700,000 signatures in just 12 weeks um, for abortion rights to put abortion rights on the ballot this fall. And that is very, very exciting news. We only need about 400,000 uh, valid ones in order to get on the ballot. So looking very good there. 
But of course, they can't make it easy on us. And so there is an attempt now to make it nearly impossible for Ohioans to even put things on the ballot. And once they get on the ballot, uh, nearly impossible to pass them. And so that is issue one in Ohio. It would not only make it so that we have to get 60% of the vote instead of the current 50% plus one in order to win, uh, it would also mean that going forward, anyone who wants to collect signatures to put something on the ballot would need to get thousands and thousands more from all 88 Ohio counties, which is going to be pretty much impossible to do unless you are paid, uh, which, you know, our grassroots folks don't have the, the money to pay canvassers. So it really would be killing our citizen ballot initiative process in Ohio. So we've got a lot of things that we need uh, help with, mostly just letting people know that this election is even happening because they said it on August 8th, which is technically illegal in Ohio now. We, we aren't allowed to have August elections anymore for anything other than uh, local financial crises, which this is not. So it's an illegal election and they just said it recently and most people don't even know it's happening. So a huge piece of this is letting people even know that there is an August election and that all they need to do is show up and vote on one. There's only one thing on the ballot, which is issue one. Um, so I'm going to put something in the chat here and it's literally just a way for anyone, no matter where you are, to make calls and texts, uh, write postcards to help us let people know that issue one is happening and that we need them to vote no. Another thing you can do is today is the last day to register to vote or update your registration in Ohio. Uh, if you want to participate in that August election. So you can just, if you live in Ohio or know someone who does, make sure they check. And then early voting starts tomorrow. So you don't have to wait until August 8th to vote no. Uh, you can go and vote literally anytime between now and August 8th and then get everyone else out to vote. Uh, well, so let me ask you an yeah. obvious question. Sure. Will the ballot initiative that would require all ballot initiatives to pass with a 60% vote, be required to get a 60% vote to pass? No, it would not. It uh, If it passes on no. August 8th with 50% plus one, it will become Ohio's law. You know, it's, it's just staggering. Um, I think they put something in the air or the water in Ohio that is just, uh, you know, beyond poison. So we have on August 8th, a reference, well, up until August 8th, a referendum that would require all future referenda to pass with a 60% vote. But this particular referenda, referendum only requires a 50% vote to pass. That is correct. And, uh, but I assume this is gonna be challenged in court. It, it, there were some lawsuits, uh, but the Ohio Supreme Court, which is also controlled by Republicans, uh, decided that they're going to let the August 8th election go forward. Um, they allowed the ballot initiative to go forward issue one with what a lot of people argue is really biased language. So for example, it says that it would elevate the standards to, uh, to get onto Ohio's constitution. And obviously elevate has a really positive connotation. So things like that were really controversial. So basically the, the number one thing we can do is just let people know what issue one is, that it's happening at all and that we need them to vote no. Absolutely insane. And, um, uh, and in the meantime, you're gathering signatures for a referendum uh, to on abortion. Tell us exactly what that referendum would do, please. Yes. So it would literally just I actually have the language. It's only one page long. It would restore abortion rights row in Ohio. Um, and it's nothing extreme. You know, it would even allow abortion to be banned after viability, just like Roe did. Um, they're making all these wild arguments that it secretly would impact parental rights or transgender youth care. Absolutely none of that is in there at all. It would literally just restore abortion rights in Ohio. Um, let me put the language in here. Uh, and that, so that is, we just turned in the signatures for that, which is very exciting. We're probably going to get on the ballot. The problem is that the polling is all showing it's uh, winning in Ohio around 59%. And if issue one passes, we would need 60%. So they are literally moving the goalpost because they can see abortion rights potentially winning this November. Are there any polls on issue one? Yes. Uh, the last poll that came out showed that a lot of people don't know what it is, but the people who do are about 50-50. So there definitely needs to be more information spread, um, 
more because there's a, a very persuasive group of people who are just outright lying, saying that voting yes is how you defend the Constitution from special interest groups, but actually voting no is how you defend the Constitution from special interest groups because that'll voting yes would mean that only people who have the billions of dollars to go into every county would be able to get on the ballot. So it's it's a very big like messaging back and forth happening here. Unbelievable. Uh, Wendy Lederman, you had a similar situation in Florida with the referendum, uh, right? Can you talk about that very quickly, please? Sure. Thank you. And um, Rachel, it was great to see you. Um, very similar. Like we're sister states. We really are. Um, so, yeah, we actually and everything that Rachel is saying, um, I've seen it happen here. Like she's really accurate with um, and it's like playbook the way that they uh, try to convince people that the supermajority is to protect the constitution from like too many people trying to amend it here we actually did have a 60 percent pass like approved by the voters and now they're going for 67 percent um we have the abortion petition going i'm working on it as a paid petitioner um and and it's same thing i mean everything you said about needing paid petitioners like i'm working on a right to clean water as well and it's not paid and we have like a tenth of the amount that we'll need. We need almost, we need over 900,000. So really we have to go over a million to make sure that we have the validity there. Um, I can quickly read, cause again, it's like the same. So here we have no law shall prohibit, penalize, delay or restrict abortion before viability or when necessary to protect the patient's health. And de as determined by patient's healthcare provider, this amendment does not change the legislature's constitutional authority to require notification to a parent or guardian before a minor has an abortion. That's the summary. Um, what I was telling Harvey earlier, and I'm really glad to hear that you're doing well with it in um, in Ohio, we reached 100,000 really quickly and it's doing well, I guess maybe a little bit farther, like Orlando's really progressive, but I've been going out in like Broward County, which was always blue and typically very liberal and progressive. And I really can't explain the pushback that I'm seeing. I've worked many petition campaigns as a professional petitioner the two marijuana ones, I mean, all kinds. And people are, I mean, even people that would be progressive and liberal on other issues, like, um, are like, I, I keep hearing I'm a Christian and they, and people don't understand that it's to protect the woman's health. Like if it's that something's happened to the pregnancy, it's not viable and it's threatening her life. The doctor's afraid of going to jail. And a lot of people don't understand that or little girls that were in, involuntarily impregnated or forced to carry like a 10 year old in Texas. It's going to keep happening here. But I've been called a baby killer. I've been told that I should have been aborted. Somebody tried to run me over with their shopping cart. And this is all within like two weeks. So it's um been pretty intense just on um like a, a mental and spiritual level, like seeing the transformation of my home state happening. But I mean, I'm still getting a lot of support. I'm still confident with it, but it's just overall, I'm seeing that Florida is becoming kind of an incubator for fascism. And I'm just really glad to hear that other states are um, not receiving DeSantis's message as well as he would like, um, because everyone's kind of migrating here and the progressives are leaving Florida and we really need them to stay and um, and push back. So um, just it's interesting times. There's an old Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times, and we sure are. So. Well, Thank I want you. to know the progressives who are leaving Florida, where are they going? I mean, I, well, someone I was on a call with someone in California recently and they're like, well, I'm from California. I don't know any Republicans. <laughs> so like, I don't. Yeah, okay. I don't I don't really know where they're just hiding. I don't know. But okay. we still have some. Uh, OK, one uh, for we're going to um, uh, Eric Lazarus, you have a hand. Uh, Eric, um, uh, you can get unmuted here. We have 57 people on the call. Uh, I do want to mention while we're talking about this that something really uh, very rare happened uh, in Ohio. The uh, Speaker of the Ohio House, Larry Householder, uh, about the, the, he's basically a walking Thomas Nast cartoon about as, as corrupt and evil as you can get. I uh, did take a $61 million bribe to put a, um, uh, a, 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 a bailout for the nuclear plants in Ohio, plus two coal burners, uh, one of which wasn't even in Ohio. And um, 
he got outed by the FBI. Somebody actually did their job at the FBI. Giant scandal ensued. And Larry Householder has been sentenced to 20 years in prison and uh, actually uh, did not get bail. Um, I mean, he's, he's in prison right now. Uh, this, I don't know the last time this happened. Um, I wish they'd clear out space for the rest of the Ohio legislature, but um, th this is a big breakthrough um, in, in in legislative jurisprudence. Rachel, what kind of impact has that had on the state of Ohio, Larry, Householder going to jail? It is really nice to see somebody finally held accountable because we've had lots of these level of scandals the last couple of years. Um, so it was the former House Speaker, like you said, got 20 years, which was the maximum. We'll see how much he serves, but it's still they took him immediately into custody, which is wild. Um, and the former um, chairman of the Ohio Republican Party also got sentenced to what I believe is five years. And they were just two of the people arrested, uh, Republicans arrested in this massive scandal that is still being paid for. That's the unfortunate part is they used all this bribery money to elect all these people who then passed this bill um, to bail out Ohio's energy utility companies uh, and are now ratepayers are still paying the extra amount in their their monthly electric or energy bills because they didn't repeal this. So there's some accountability happening for the individuals at the top, but the rest of us are still dealing with the, the problems at the bottom. So it's we're hoping right. that it leads to accountability more, that this isn't just the end with Larry Householder. They also killed a very, Ohio had a very good energy efficiency program, which they've, they've gutted as well. I mean, but, it, you know, the idea that Larry Householder would be in prison is pretty amazing, actually. So we'll take our, our I hate to have a victory be when somebody goes to jail. I mean, it's, it's a very painful situation, obviously, for him and his family, but boy, if anybody deserved it, uh, he certainly did. Eric Lasseritz, you've had your hand up, Eric. Hey, just a really quick point. Um, um, something happened you know, while I was canvassing in Philadelphia that I never would have expected. When people say, I'm Christian, I'm not, I'm not pro-choice, following up with, do you really want the government to decide? Or do you, would you still want it to be, even if you would discourage abortion, would you still? All but one of the people shifted to pro-choice merely with one more question. So I just wanted to throw that out to you, um, given what Wendy had just said. Thanks so much. Well, Wendy, there's, a, there's a hint for you. Um, ask them if they want the government control. And of course, you know, you've got all those Jewish people down there in the, in the, in the, the Jewish religion. The uh, fetus is not considered human until it graduates from medical school. So uh, as you know, uh, that that really throws a different light on it. Uh, um, uh, Wendy, what were you going to say? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, no, I I say that line all the time, you know, and that'll be sometimes part of my pitch, which varies. Um, but it's like it'll allow voters the right to decide if women have the right to choose and their health and their doctor instead of the government. And I have had um, quite a few pro-life people that do understand the implications, and they'll even sign, even though they're not for abortion, but they're not extremist in either way. But I mean, that's definitely a point that people take, you know, especially on the conservative side of, um, you know, it's just not like government get out of my business, but it's just such an emotional, like we've seen this a lot, like, especially since um, the Trump presidency is that people get so emotive in like their thinking and where they're coming from. So it's like, it takes a lot and you, you only have a few seconds to kind of get their attention. So, um, it's just, it's a very fluid thing and I'm seeing all different parts of the spectrum, but it's a good point. And I do talk about it all the time. And a lot of people um, agree with it. The ones that, that get it and are willing to get past their emotions to think logically. Thanks. So Wendy, you're, you're now in the process of out gathering signatures. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Going out and it's hot. Let me tell you, there's a new kind of heat that's happening in Florida. Just to talk about climate change. I've never experienced like this kind of heat. So I think that that has part to it too, where people just don't want to like, stop because they're sweating but um yeah that's well be, I, I hope you're wearing a hat a sombrero some something to keep the sun off your head but that's mind-boggling so rachel in, in if um well i guess they already require 60 percent in florida is that right so yeah. rachel, if, if this uh, uh unit one passes here the to get to protect abortion rights in ohio 
is going to require 60%? It would, yes. Um, and that actually is what's getting the most attention. But the scariest part to me is that we would then have to collect signatures, thousands of signatures from all 88 counties, uh, which currently you only need from 44, which is still very hard to do if you're just a grassroots group. Uh, so 88 is just unfathomable. So that one's not getting as much attention, um, but it is probably to me as, as an organizer, the scarier piece of this. Boy, you know, I think it's very clear that the right wing in this country above all hates democracy. I mean, whatever their, their issues are. And uh, that was um, um, uh, Adolf Hitler's primary target as well. Um, right up there with the Jews was democracy. And here, here we are. I want to welcome David Salman to the call, uh, Len Feinerman. Feinerman, good to see you guys. Uh, we're at, we've got 60 callers. Um, um, I want to um, give uh, Ruth, Ruth Strauss, you, you said you had some news on the, uh, on the Supreme Court. Uh, is there anyone else want to talk about Ohio? Rachel, is there anything in addition before we give it to Ruth that you want to mention here of what's going on in Ohio? Only other thing is I'll put a toolkit in the chat. Uh, we had our big budget pass and it was cruel, but our activism got a lot of the worst stuff out. So I just want to show that, uh, show folks what their activism actually accomplished. So there's a list of wins and, and losses, but the wins list is pretty long. So I'll put that in there for folks to look through if they're interested. Okay. And I got to say, you know, we have uh, women with us from the two most, I think they're the most problematic states going on. I mean, uh, it's it's really astounding. I guess you got thrown in Texas, um, but uh, I mean, and having lived uh, so much of my life in Ohio, it's just really mind-boggling uh, to hear what's going on there. And I've spent some time in Florida too. Uh, Justin LeBlanc, did you want to uh, raise something, Justin? Uh, go ahead here. We'll unmute you. Just for uh, Ohio or Florida. This is uh, more we can discuss in the next hour, but the uh, thing that I wanted to bring up for energy was the Solar Energy uh, Industry of America uh, has a map that shows uh, large solar projects going in across the country, and Ohio seems to be one of the champions for all of that. So the people well, actually do care about safe energy for the people. Well, the the other thing about energy in Ohio, we will do. We're going to have a really intense uh, a thing in the second hour, especially because of what's going on at Zaporizhia. But um, uh, uh, Ohio, nor the north coast of Ohio, the uh, uh, the the uh, farmland along the lake um, is just perfect for wind power. And one sentence in the Ohio code has prevented more than four billion dollars worth of wind development in Northern Ohio. It's it's beyond criminal, and they've managed to keep the windmills out of the lake too. But um, if you look at a, a wind map of the world, Lake Erie is actually one of the most intense wind zones in the world. Um, but the offshore wind within the last month has been given a green light um, uh, finally off Martha's Vineyard um, and, uh, and off New Jersey. So there, there have been some breakthroughs here with wind power. And we'll definitely talk about that as we will also revisit uh, Oliver Stone's ridiculously miserable uh, film on nuclear, but we'll, we'll get to that in the second hour. Thank you for raising that, Justin, and raise it again. Ruth Strauss, you wanna give us our your your windmill here on, uh, on the Supreme Court? Yes, um, and uh, you just made me think of a wonderful uh, quote that was given to me by one of my African-American transplant patients years ago. And she said, I was complaining about something about administration. And she goes, oh, girl, the devil, he stays busy. So anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you're going to have to compete, Wendy, uh, for fascism awards uh, with uh, your neighbor, Tennessee. Um, I heard this on Amy Goodman. Nowhere else. Now, you can bet I'm going to be listening tonight to see if it's covered anywhere else. Um, okay, so uh, Tennessee wanted to um, ban gender affirming care. Uh, the state court said that they, they did an injunction. The circuit court has overturned that and they're suing 
uh, the they've got the a state attorney general is suing Vanderbilt University and some others under the concept of civil investigative demand, which I've never heard of. But since they couldn't really go after them because of HIPAA, although this is effectively it, they are accusing Vanderbilt of Medicaid fraud and insurance fraud. And therefore, they are asking for all the personal records of people who have gotten gender and the doctors who have gotten gender affirming care, their emails, their complete medical charts. And when Vanderbilt asked for redaction, uh, they were not granted it. Um, and so now it's in the Sixth Circuit Court, which has said it's okay for them to demand all these things. You know where it's going. It's going to go to SCOTUS and God knows what they're going to do there. But, you know, between that affirmative action and you can't use race when you're describing the Tulsa massacre, uh, you know, fascism is here in Wendy's right. So I just wanted people to know that I learned this by calling Vanderbilt because I was just outraged. I mean, they they are having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this in legal phase that could go to medical research, scholarship for underprivileged people, capital expenditure. It's kind of expensive to run a medical school. Um, so I, I just, I, I need, I wanted to bring that up because it is like people say, and I'm going to finish drinking out of a fire hose of how many bad things are going on right now with SCOTUS. So thank you. Well, I will say that, um, um, you know, I, I make a point of watching uh, the news. I go flip from uh, Fox to CNN to MSNBC and, and then to Wimbledon, but that's a different story. And, but um, uh, uh, there is a lot of talk now on the, uh, on the Hill uh, about dealing with corruption at the Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas has really led the way on this. And, uh, but, you know, John Roberts has been no piker. Um, uh, on on taking illegal whatever. And so we will see how this develops. But I think the pressure on the Supreme Court will be very interesting to follow over the coming years. And let's see what they do with this particular case. So thank you for that, uh, Ruth. I wanna, uh, speaking of the media now, I do wanna uh, talk uh, briefly, we have any, uh, um, Stefano with us. Um, uh, I, I Sometimes you get just really enraged and, there has been a lot of very sanctimonious coverage of the, the Russian imprisonment of uh, Evan uh, Gershkovitz, the Wall Street Journal reporter that Putin has thrown in jail. He's been in 100 days. That was the most recent hook. Um, and I'm hearing these people uh, pompously talk about press freedom, and, and nobody's mentioning Julian Assange, which is you know the, the exact analogy. Uh, Putin wants to arrest this kid in, in uh, Russia, and we're all up hot and bothered about it. And then here's uh, Julian Assange that we want to bring back and kill him. Uh, Benny Stefano, what is the latest with uh, Julian Assange, please? Well, Julian Assange, uh, as you know, there was a one judge of a three-judge panel who issued a three-page denial of the, uh, uh, um, the appeal against extradition. The appeal was over three, uh, over a hundred pages of detailed legal arguments showing why it's it is absolutely illegal for Britain to extradite Assange because he is in threat of uh, danger of losing his life, of being tortured, and also because it is a political uh, uh, extradition on the face of it. But the judge issued his three-page report by himself, and he basically said. Uh, you uh, you wrote too much and it was too difficult to read, so I'm just going to say no. I know that sounds ridiculous, but if we were to bring Kafka back from the dead, he would look at this case and if you ask him to describe it, he'd say, I'm sorry, it's too kafka even for me. Now, Who, who he, said Kafka even died? I mean, when did that Yeah. <laughs> well, he's, he's alive and living in the British court system. Uh, the issue of Aaron, uh, uh, Evan Gershkovich is unique in that this is a reporter who is in a war zone in, in the Russian, uh, uh, in, in Russia. So it's very, very different from Julian, who has spent a total of four days in the United States decades ago, 
decades ago, who is not a U.S. citizen, but is being tried for treason. That's a uh, neat hat trick that I cannot figure out. But Harvey, you're absolutely right. The hypocrisy of Joe Biden getting up at the White House Correspondents' Dinner and saying, journalism is not a crime, unless you're Julian Assange, and then it is. Because the difference with Julian and again, Evan, and we stand in solidarity with Evan Gershkovich. We don't believe he should be prosecuted any more than we believe Julian. But there is a huge chasm between the two of them, as is there is huge chasm between Donald Trump and uh, Julian, because both Donald Trump and Julian are being tried with the 1917, the Byzantine 1917 Espionage Act. And as odious it is it to say, we stand against the prosecution of Donald Trump on those, if you'll excuse the pun, trumped up charges. Uh, the, and you can charge him for a lot of things, but using the uh, Espionage Act is horrible. This act should simply be repealed because at its core, whether you're Evan Gershkovich or you're Julian Assange or you're anybody else, it is a law that is targeting journalism, but more importantly, it is targeting the concept of dissent. If you don't go along with right now the Democratic Party line, whether it's on uh, the war in Ukraine or vaccinations or anything else, you are suspect. And the beautiful thing about the First Amendment is you have the absolute and utter right to be wrong. When well, we have thought police determining who's right and who's wrong, we're in a lot of trouble. But you have to remember that Julian is being prosecuted for telling us the truth about war crimes committed in our name and our dollar. And what uh, uh, Evan is being charged with is passing on the movement of Russian troops in Russia, which could be aiding and abetting the enemy. Now, I believe those are trumped up charges, but I also believe it is quantitatively different than what we are looking at with Julian. Julian, again, is being tried for having the temerity to share with the American public uh, the truth. And he uses as, and you called him, him out behind me, that was I.F. Stone, Julian uses the documents from the government itself. And I remind you all that all those documents are classified. They belong to us. My good friend, John Kiriakou pointed this out to me once. He said, all those classified documents, many of them classified maliciously to hide crimes and misdemeanors, they belong to us. And so Julian was simply sharing with us documents that belong to us that, uh, that hid crimes, malfeasance, and murder, rising to the level of war crimes committed in our name. Well, and also you have to remember that the Espionage Act was used against Eugene V. Debs. Yes. Giving a speech against a war that ended exactly to the day, three months after, uh, actually two months after he gave the speech, and he was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison, where they kept him locked up while he ran for uh, president, uh, but uh, we wouldn't uh, any would never compare uh, Eugene V. Debs to Donald Trump. That's for sure. My Thanks. God, no. <laughs> there is an excellent book that I would recommend to everybody if you'd like to educate yourself on exactly what Harvey said about the 1917 Espionage Act. Uh, Carrie Shankman and Ralph Engelman wrote a book, A Century of Repression: uh, The uh, Political Nature of uh, the Espionage Act. And it is a, a small, but a densely packed book of facts. And make no mistake about it, this is not catching spies. This is about silencing dissent. And in the case of Eugene V. Debs, he was right. He said that World War I was a war crime and we should not participate. And right. millions of people died in that war for nothing. For nothing. And he was and right. History found him right. And yet he was prosecuted and put in jail. Well, not only was he prosecuted and put in jail, but they took away his right to vote. Yes. Now, Eugene V. Debs was born in Terre Haute, Indiana in 1855. And they took, in his 60s, they took away his right to vote. After he died, many years later, the Congress restored it. But uh, at any rate, thank you for that, Vinny. Yeah. Uh, he also got a million vote. votes while he was in prison on the right, socialist and, ticket. Uh, well, you know, I, I'm going to very quickly say that um, most historians treat Eugene V. Debs 
and his imprisonment as kind of a sidelight. The reality is that Eugene V. Debs could have been elected president. Yes. Um, he, he ran for Congress. He was, uh, alongside Theodore Roosevelt, he was the best known American political figure by far. And when Roosevelt died, he became number one. People loved him. He spoke around the country for 30 years with millions of people who had heard him speak. And everybody loved him. He was a great speaker, a completely incorruptible, a beautiful human being. And he could have been elected president. Very, very few historians. In fact, I'm the only one I know who goes around saying this is that um, Wilson threw Eugene V. Debs in prison for a very good reason, which is to prevent him from going to the White House. They put him in a big house instead of the White House. <laughs> and and that, that's what that was about. So we'll talk about that. I know that Tatanka knows all about that as well. I um, uh, thank you for that, Vinny. Does anybody have a question about, um, uh, I, I noticed that they've delayed Assange. There was supposed to have been some kind of decision or mo motion or extradition. Um, We're waiting on pins and needles to find out what it is. They're trying to resurrect the hacking charge, which has been disproven categorically. I mean, first well, and I foremost, Ch Chelsea Manning had acted, the only documents he's being charged for of the Iraq war logs and the Afghani war logs, not anything else. And Chelsea Manning had access to all those documents based on her clearance. So there was no hacking necessary. Well, I can't, I can't help but think, having been watching the news, that one of the reasons they haven't made a decision to extradite Assange, actually do it, is because of the Gershkovitz case. I mean, it's so blatantly obvious that, you know, we if we are yelling and screaming about Evan Gershkovitz, what are we doing at Julian Assange? I mean, it's ridiculously obvious. And I, I think that might be one of the reasons they're hesitating. We'll see. I had a friend of mine who once told me that the only thing you can put a can of worms into once you open it up is a bigger can. And the can <laughs> of worms we are looking at is the case that Julian's defense will bring to the trial at the Eastern District Court of Virginia. And although... The this is a neat trick of the 1917 Espionage Act. You cannot present a public good argument. I revealed the drone strikes, as Daniel Hell did, to show that the government was lying to us about the uh, number of civilian casualties. You can't say that. You have a choice. You can either plead guilty, did I do it, or not guilty, I didn't do it. And okay. uh, uh, all right, we'll see. Eric Lassus has a hand, and then we're going to talk with, uh, we're going to mention Jeremy Raskin and talk with Mike Hirsch. Uh, go ahead, Eric. Eric, did you have a question? Um, yes. Um, so, like, what specifically, what change um, would you want to have in the Espionage Act besides maybe this public good argument? Uh, you know, Abolishing it. Get rid of it. Yeah, get I, get, of I hear you want to abolish it. So you're saying that it's perfectly okay that Trump sell national security secrets to whoever he wants. We don't there need that. There are plenty of ways it. you could prosecute him otherwise. Let's be yeah. serious. Seriously, yeah, abolish that, it. That, you don't need the Espionage Act to prosecute Trump for uh, for doing what he did. I mean, it's completely... Okay, so would, uh, what would still be illegal once you abolish it? Would it be illegal for him to sell national security secrets? I'm really confused what you're talking about. Well, that would be treason. And that's another crime altogether. And the 1917 Espionage Act doesn't necessarily even deal with that. I mean, it, 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 it deals in an ancillary fashion, but it's generally crafted and has been crafted since its inception as a, a way to silence dissent. It didn't go after spies. It went after dissenters. It went after, and this is the first time it's gone after a publisher. Now, Trump taking the documents broke other laws. Using those other laws to prosecute him would be a vastly more prudent way to approach this. But I, I have to tell you, Eric, I would simply abolish the Espionage Act. I got because... it. You would abolish it. I'm saying, what would you, what would still remain illegal? Um, would you have any laws about uh, defense information, or you're saying you'd always have to violate some other law? Go ahead. It always has to violate some other law, yeah. and there are plenty of laws for that. It's just right. the, the, the espionage act is like heating a baby bottle with a blowtorch. It does the job, but not too good on the, ba or, or, the baby bottle. 
or boiling water with a nuclear reactor. Ah, uh, yes. Talk, get Dorothy Reich in, and then we'll go to uh, Mike Hirsch to talk about this movement to uh, cut the military budget. Uh, Dorothy, go ahead, please. Thank you, Eric. Okay, so I want to remind us all that you can only commit treason during the time of war. You can't commit treason in peacetime. So, um, of course, if we didn't have all these borders, we wouldn't have all this espionage. We wouldn't have any need for any of these laws. So uh, I'm a follower of John Lennon. <laughs> That's in there's no countries. And then it was you're a, a, you're a, you're a John Lennonist. You're a John Lennonist. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. Very excellent presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Harvey. Um, Mike Hirsch, oh, I want to mention that um, Jeremy Raskin, who has been on our Zoom calls, the uh, congressperson from uh, Maryland, has been toying with uh, running for the Senate and has decided not to. And I will say that I went through this in 1980. There was a very good progressive congressperson from Connecticut named Toby Moffat. He is in his, heading into his fifth term. And he, uh, against my advice, <laughs> he decided to run for Senate. Whereas if he'd stayed in the House, he, he could have been in leadership. I mean, he was headed in that direction. And he ran for Senate and he lost and never got back into the Congress. It was a big loss, Jerry. Uh, but so um, part of me is greatly relieved that Jamie Raskin has decided to stay in the House. Um, I appreciate that. Dorothy, do you still have your hand up or uh, go ahead? Let's get you unmuted, then we'll go to Mike Hirsch. Yeah, I'd say the same thing happened with Alan Grayson. He got it into his head to run for uh, Senate. It was yeah. his wife to run for his seat. So he ran for Senate, and it's a huge loss to the country. Um, I think Jamie Raskin was not in any shape to be running. He's just lost his son. He's just battled cancer. He needs to just stay in the house and yeah, we're, we're do his job and try to recover from what he's been through. Well, where, where it's nice and relaxing in the U.S. House. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Mike Hirsch, um, thank you. Thank you, Dorothy. And thank you for that, Benny. Very, very great. Uh, we want to bring up now a, an issue, um, a petition uh, that's going around, Mike Hirsch, uh, to uh, cut the military budget. You want to tell us about that? Thanks, Logo. Yeah, this is a very important vote that's coming down. As everybody on this Zoom probably knows, the uh, Pentagon asks for a certain amount of money, and then the members of Congress load that budget that's already overloaded and bloated with more of these weapons programs and other miscellaneous spending, and we don't know what is even where most of it goes for, neither do they. They cannot pass an audit. So basically, just really to the point, we're asking people to contact their member of the House and tell them to support the amendment that's being proposed by Representatives Barbara Lee and Mark Pocan. It's an amendment to the National um, Defense Authorization Act. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, bad air here, um, here in Maryland. Uh, I've just put the link into the chat, if everybody can look at that. If you can't see that link, go to P4, the number four, not spelled out, just the number four, P4DA.org, and you can find the Educate Congress area, and that's where you can find all these materials. But it's obviously a lot easier if you can just go to that link. And it has talking points, a phone script, everything that you need to contact your personal member of Congress and get them to agree to co-sponsor and vote yes on the Barbara Lee Mark Pocan amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act. And I'm here for any questions, but I think we're uh, it's okay. pretty self-explanatory. Uh, Carla Sand has a hand. Carla, uh, let's get you unmuted here. We have 66 people with us. Carla, go ahead. Uh, yes, I would like to know the timeline on that. What, when, when should we get those letters in? Today, tomorrow, next week? Do you have any anything? And that's forget, a, the, that's forget a, the Senate. Just go to our Congress people. I mean, our House people. Okay. Two excellent questions. And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I forgot to mention. 
We expect the vote to be sometime uh, as early as tomorrow. Uh, we were thinking that it might even be today, but apparently it's taken them longer to get to that point. But um, by tomorrow at the latest to make sure that you beat the vote, you don't want it to get there while they're voting and have them say, oh, well, now we know uh, we should have done that. So thank you, Carla. And also we're focusing on the amendment in the House. We're hoping that there'll be amendments in the Senate the same kind of way and that we'd be doing the same thing over on the Senate side. But for now, it's just the House. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, and, you uh, thank you, Carla. Thank you for all that in the chat. Uh, thank you for that. Let's let's hope we can finally get this military budget headed in the in the right direction, uh, or rather the left direction. I um, and since we're talking about this and we're getting to the top of the hour, um, one of the things that's been be widely debated right now is this idea of sending cluster bombs to Ukraine. And you know. Um, it is mind-boggling to me. Um, there are three classes of weapons that the United States, and this is not a debate about the war in Ukraine um, and, and the Russian invasion. This is the discussion about what are we doing sending these weapons. One is um, uh, the cluster bombs, which are horrific and um, uh, can be, I'd like my buddy Dave Saltman to uh, discuss this a little bit. He's been a war correspondent and seen this stuff. One is the, the, um, the, the cluster bombs. One is the depleted uranium, uh, which is in the shells, which um, uh, uh, Dave has asked if we have actual documentation that the depleted uranium shells are being used. I think Tatanka, you know that, the answer to that. And then the other one um, is uh, the mines, landmines. Uh, Barack Obama refused to sign the national, the global treaty uh, banning landmines. I think over 100 countries signed it. I saw some, you know, m retired general that they always, I think they, they have a factory where they produce retired generals for Fox News. And this guy uh, said that, well, we have to have landmines in, ca in case North Korea invades South Korea again. <laughs> okay, what about when Canada invades the United States? So, you know, I mean, these three classes of weapons are being used over there and we're giving them. Uh, I frankly am horrified uh, by all three, uh, but uh, Dave Salman, you wanted to uh, talk to us a bit about, about uh, the, um, uh, the, the cluster bonds in particular. Dave? Wait, you're, I gotta unmute you. Hold on. Wait, 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 Dave. I see your lips moving, but we don't hear you. We there you go. Okay. Okay. Uh, actually, they are not cluster bombs. They are cluster munitions, which is a fine point. But if you're a, I used to cover the military, so this stuff has been beaten into me. Um, a cluster bomb is delivered by an airplane. A cluster munition is delivered by, as uh, packed into a, uh, 155 millimeter howitzer shell. And what the, what the Ukrainians have now are the 155 millimeter howitzers, but the shells that they're sending over are conventional, which means that they explode when they hit the ground and they dig a big hole. And unless you're standing right in the hole, they don't, do, they don't kill anybody, put it in words of one syllable. Now, I'm the first, my mother was a pacifist, and I'm the first to say war is a really nasty, uh, you know, piece of work. So if you're opposed to all weaponry and all wars, I get it, and I totally support that idea, and God, God help us all. Um, if, like my father, who was not a pacifist, you think that, well, when it came to the Nazis, for example, no, I would fight back then you gotta deal with what weapons are you gonna use and what are they using? So as far as the uh, uh, convention against cluster weapons, so anyway, so these are cluster munitions, cluster bomb, when you say that it actually shows that you don't know what you're talking about. So don't say that anymore, say, we hate cluster munitions, please. <clears throat> so uh, the cluster okay. munitions, the difference with them is, they explode in the air and they distribute the 
charge over a much wider uh, space. And <clears throat> whether you and I, I think that as I think that uh, uh, Biden said something to the effect that you know it was a tough decision, but I think it was the right one. Uh, most military strategists would agree with that because this is the only way that we've discovered so far to deal with essentially what is World War I type trench warfare, which is the kind of warfare that's going on uh, between Russia and the Ukraine. They're digging them, the infantries are digging themselves into trenches and you know they're lobbing uh, ammunition at, at the other side. Um, both neither Russia nor the Ukraine nor the United States, nor I think something like 78 other nations have actually signed the convention banning the use of these weapons. Uh, a lot of other countries that have, but it's by no means a universal. And basically the military strategic decision is at the end of the day, there's no better way to deal with trench, entrenched uh, infantry troops. Plus, you mentioned minefields. Cluster munitions are basically the only way, uh, at least from a munitions point of view, to clear a minefield. When you drop these cluster munitions into a minefield, all the mines go off because they're set off by the, by the uh, I think each one of these shells contains something like 88 little bombs, little bomblets. So it sets off a lot of mines. <laughs> uh, we we use excuse me we usually have like a ninety second rule, but this is oh, very well, informative. We're kind of getting into the weeds here for a second. Okay, yeah. that's good, uh, David. I'm, I'm appreciating your your uh, technical um, uh, uh, d description here. And you also asked me just to finish up on the the, the trilogy here about depleted uranium. Oh, I, you were right about that. I I I did check that out. Those are being used to make shells that are fired by tank by tanks and they're very hot and they're very uh heavy and they're armor piercing essentially and uh, they're not they do emit a very low level of radiation uh but the, the real issue is they can they can kill a tank right but the the the, the, the uranium when it hits the tank and the the shell does not actually have an explosive in it, is my understanding. If the right. shell is made with uranium, it catches fire and it disperses uh, lethal quantities of radiation, which never go away. And so there's our trilogy, folks. That's what the United States is supplying in the war in Ukraine. You can take one side or the other, or take no side, which, and, and, and still here we have this legacy. Uh, David, thank you so much for that. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk about Harvey, it. Harvey, yes. Can, can I just yeah. chime in and say that um, the um, the the depleted uranium that is plating the uh, munitions uh, aerosolizes and it spreads a fine uh, radioactive dust um, far and wide, and, and um, it's it, the you may say that it's a low level of uh, radioactivity, but no level is safe and low levels can still trigger cancer and birth defects in children and as has been seen all over Iraq. So let's not minimize the lethality of these horrific weapons. Okay, we got you with that, Myla. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. David, again, thank you. It was a great presentation. Much appreciated. Uh, do we have uh, Lynn, uh, uh, Pam Wilmot on the phone? I do not see her listed here, Pam Wilmot from Common No, Cross. no, evidently she was waiting for a an invitation from you and for you to tell her that uh, you were uh, uh, scheduling her for today. But um, in any case, I just wanted to say as a means of obs observation, you know, um, even David uh, hardly referred to um, depleted uranium and the fact that depleted uranium is contained in all of those cluster bombs and all of those cluster munitions and um, that and you note that the um, the media have entirely eliminated the presence 
of depleted uranium in those cluster bombs and cluster munitions and the issue of that. What they're now just talking about is cluster bombs and how, oh, they hurt kids when kids find them. They hurt, and as, as Myla has so uh, said so well, they hurt thousands and thousands of people in Iraq. Every time depleted uranium is used in cluster munitions or in other weapons, it, it um, causes birth defects, it causes miscarriages, it causes cancer. It, it is, um, you know, when you have 88 little bomblets full of depleted uranium, that's a lot of uranium. That's all I had to say. Well, it's way too much as far as I'm concerned. We're near the top of the hour. I want to tell my listeners that the, um, uh, the Progressive Radio Network on the Soratopia Green Power and Wellness show that uh, this uh, show, this Zoom call has gone an hour. Uh, it will go another hour. If you want to hear the rest of it, uh, go to www.electionprotection2024.org and you can pick up the link to the second hour uh, of our of our conversation here, which we're going to jump deep into the radioactive weeds of, of nuclear power um, because of the crisis uh, at Fukushima and at uh, Zaporizhia, for, terrifying for God's sake. Barbara Wimsat, you have your hand, and then Stanley Heller. Uh, Barbara Wimsat, go ahead and unmute you. Yeah. There. Go ahead. We have to talk about not just uh, these weapons, but also ending the war. And I'm just wondering, how is Biden going to get an off-ramp? What would that constant, what would that consist of? Because he needs an off-ramp in order to create peace, which we need very, very desperately. Any thoughts on this? Boy, um, you know, uh, I... <laughs> I'm sure other people have better ideas than me. So let's move. Barbara, thank you for raising the question of the day. And um, I don't, you know, they're not even negotiating as far as I can tell, for God's sakes. Stanley Heller. I know. Barbara, I hope yes. they're doing it. I hope they're doing it behind the scenes, but then we don't know about it, but who knows? <laughs> who knows at this point, right. Stanley Howard, do you want to chime in? No, on that? I've been... Uh reading about these weapons for um, many years, heard Doug Rocky talk about depleted uranium. We brought him up to uh, Connecticut. Um, cluster bombs, at one point there was a million bomblets dropped in Lebanon by the Israelis. It is a horror. On the other hand, we have to talk about what is the situation in, in Ukraine and the Russians, how many, thousands, tens of thousands of mines that they put in. Did, did people uh, complain about that? You know, there's a, a kind of a hypocrisy of just talking about the terrible things the United States is doing. And one has to wonder as an alternative uh, to say uh, no to cluster bombs, yes to more, to, uh, yes to more F-16s and, and helicopters that, uh, could uh, help these people. It's uh, it's not that simple. I I, I find uh, pacifism is a mistake as a whole philosophy. Thank you. Well, it's really a nightmare. Um, yes. Um, uh, thank you for that, Stanley. John Ryman, John Ryman, and then Wendy and yeah. Tatanka, and then we're gonna yeah. jump into an hour on nukes yeah. here. The the people that say. Um, how can Biden be on the off-ramp? I would urge them to ask Ukrainians, including Ukrainian socialists like Sotsialny Ruk, including trade unionists, including feminists and environmentalists, what is their view? Because they are almost never heard, or not almost, they are never heard in the peace movement here in the United States. And they don't want an off-ramp. They don't want to be raped. They don't want to be mutilated. They don't want to be tortured. They don't want to um, ha have their environment totally destroyed. They, they don't want to be invaded. And they don't want more butchers. They want to fight back. So how about them? I urge you to, 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 look, to talk to them, the social movement, 
than feminists and environmentalists in Ukraine. Okay, maybe we can do that. Uh, it, you know, the whole thing just makes me sick, but that's no, uh, that's no answer. Um, uh, to uh, Wendy and then to Tonka, thank you for that, John. Thank you. Um, it's probably not going to be an, an, an entirely popular opinion or statement, really. Um, but just want to remind everybody that, you know, NATO has been pushing closer and closer, um, gathering more momentum. If Ukraine joins NATO, we're automatically in World War III. 